Welcome to Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. Tim Weisberg here. Matt Costa is along. Talked about real-life horror over the last couple of weeks, some some of the things that people have experienced. And so now we're going to focus more on the fictional element uh, and and hopefully more of a interest in some of the horror crap that's been coming out over the last couple of years. And uh, with us, we have some special guests. Uh, those of you who usually are watching television at this time, you know, you, if you're watching uh, New Bedford Channel 95 right now, with the uh, sound turned down and the radio turned up, you're watching Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers. And we have from that program, Miss Penny Dreadful herself and her husband, the werewolf Guru. <laughs> How are you tonight? Oh, I'm, I'm excellent. It's, uh, it's a distinct uh, displeasure uh, being here, Timothy. Uh, that's a good thing in my in my book of spells, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, dis- displeasure, pleasure. That's I aim to displease or please, as the situation calls. And uh, and of course, Matt's here with us as well. How are you tonight, Matt? I'm doing all right. Okay. Hello, Matthew. It's nice to see you again. Hello. And uh, actually, this is strange. We have a phone call right away. So uh, if you don't mind, we'll go right to the phones. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Uh, can we have your name and where you're from, please? From Freetown. Okay. Um, I'm calling to say that I saw a ghost. Really? Yes. When when did you see this ghost? Um, well, I grew up in New Bedford, <coughs> two houses away from my aunt and grandmother. Mm-hmm. And they lived in the house, their house, for 34 years. And they had footsteps and <coughs> strange sounds. And on the attic door, the lock would just lift up slowly and then go down and the door would open. So um, when my aunt died, I moved into the house with my husband. And we had the footsteps and the noises. And the attic, my aunt had blocked the attic off with a bureau. So I moved the bureau and I was using the attic, but just right inside the doorway. I didn't go way in. So one time, after I had lived there quite a while, there had been some things in my aunt's way, way in the attic. Mm-hmm. So I crawled in. You could, you had to crawl in, then you could stand up a little bit. You had to hunch over. And I went uh, maybe three quarters of the way in, and the door slammed. And then so I started to go out, and it opened slowly and slammed again. And... Then one day, when I was in the parlor, there was something. I saw something out of the corner of my eye, and it came out of the wall. It was a man, and it walked right up to me and turned around and went back. And and uh, did you sense any kind of uh, ill uh, ill feelings or any malevolence? No, no. And all the years that my aunt lived in that house, and I lived in that house for 13 years, nothing bad happened. Nothing. And and how was he dressed? 
I mean, he had no shirt on, and his left arm <clears throat> was straight out, and it had like a, a board, and there was cloth wrapped around it, like maybe it was broken. Mm-hmm. And, and and did you get any sense of what it is that he was there for? No, nope. he came right up to me. I was sitting on the couch, and I was trying to get back further onto the couch, and it happened so fast I heard myself say what. I don't know if I was going to say, what do you want? I don't know what I was going to say, but mm-hmm. then he just looked right down at me, turned around and went back in the wall. And then you never saw him again after that? Never, no. Nope. Well, some- a year later, I moved out of the house because I was so afraid. And, and nobody else uh, had a similar experience in the house? Well, or? see, I don't know if my aunt did or not. I mean, the, the they visualization? Kept, they kept a lot of secrets because we were just kids and... We didn't know everything that went on. Yeah, I went. I went through the same thing when I was younger. I I, I had an aunt and uncle's house that had a, a similar situation, and, and they tried to keep the kids, yeah, you know, in the dark about it, which yeah. I think actually was uh, worse in the long run. But it was because you just heard them whisper it. <laughs> and and so uh, and have you had any kind of encounters with any uh, anything strange since then, or no? Well, a year later, I moved out of the house. No, but I just mean in general, like in in any home that you've lived in or anywhere else. Um, no, no just that one and then i was so scared my poor husband had to stay home from work <laughs> i wouldn't stay in the house alone oh it was scary well we, we thank you for sharing your story with us oh you're welcome and uh and i hope that uh if you never want to see one again i hope that you don't no i hope i well I, you know i don't know once i saw it then i thought after i got over being really scared what if i could see it again and talk to it uh, actually, yeah. I mean, a lot of times people who have these encounters wish that they could live through it again and relive it and, and have that opportunity. It's true because it happens in a matter of seconds. You know, it happens so quick, and, and you're so scared. Have you have you told anybody else in the family about it? I mean, uh, oh yeah. Obviously, you told your husband, but I mean, you've you've discussed it with other family members. Oh yeah, my nieces and nephews, my daughters and my brothers. They all well, they knew the house. The rumors about the house, anyway. And is there a uh, sensitivity about your family? Do they seem to be uh, sensitive to this type of thing? Or? No. Just, I don't know. No. All right. <laughs> well, well, we thank you for sharing your experience. You're welcome. And uh, and like I said, I hope uh, I hope he doesn't bother you when you're sleeping or anything. No, it, at <laughs> Come first. Come back for a visit. Just at first, I was scared. But then I lived in the house a year after, for a whole year after I saw that, and nothing happened. Okay, well, I hope uh, hope you continue to have that luck. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you. Thank you very much. Yeah, bye. Uh, we have a very open format here, and when anybody wants to call in, they just do. I, I have to say that that was totally my bad. That the it, it, you you that Freetown that's part of the Bridgewater Triangle thing. Mm-hmm. You were talking about that nexus for supernatural activity. Well. Basically, what happened was, uh, back when I was in uh, horror high school, freshman year, uh, Dracula and I were dating. And we were an item, so to speak, and uh, we decided... Uh, now, settle down, Guru. It's, it was a long time ago. He's a very jealous werewolf. Uh, most most werewolves no tend to be jealous. No treats tonight, you get upset. All right, it's all right. Now, so uh, Dracula and I were dating. We decided to go make out down at Hokamoke Swamp. Uh, you know, down at the Bridgewater Triangle, and all the classic monsters used to make out there. They used to go do the hokamoki, is what they, they used to call it. And uh, so we, we did that, and then um, afterwards, we decided, ooh, Dracula had too much to drink, as he usually does, and uh, I had done some hemlock that night, little nightshade, you know, I was feeling pretty good. We decided to open up a, a nexus to uh, an otherworldly uh, 
uh, unusual dimension. Uh, and uh, we did that. And uh, basically, uh, ever since then, it's been the Bridgewater Triangle. So that was me and Drac did that back in back in the day. So all, all this all the spirit activity around here is your Mary's fault. Here. Thanks. Yeah, no, sorry about that. No, uh, well, we don't... Apologize for the, for the supernatural. Hey, here at Spooky South Coast, we welcome that type of stuff. And uh, also joining us on the VIP line, we have a, a familiar uh, voice, you guys. Uh, your, your next-door neighbor, I believe. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right, baby. Guess who's on the phone? Oh, Von Bulow. Dear, can't you stay away? You know, I, I mean, I finally had a chance to do a radio interview here. And oh, but quite fame. You know, radio interview, radio interview, whatever. <sighs> I'm, you know, I'm just here to help. I'm just here to add a little com color commentary, you know, like the, when you were dating with the Dracula there, you know. I mean, it's, yeah, I remember that. Oh, I remember yes. that. I remember very well when you, when, when we were down, down uh, by the quicksand and you showed up with, with the cross. Yeah, man. Oh, that was nice. That was really nice. Yeah, man, you Thank know, you. I just wanted to add a little special something for the evening, you know. That's how it is. So, so Dr. Manfred von Bulow, you, you uh, are part of the hijinks with the Shilling Shockers group. Uh, there are many adventures. Uh, around uh, the paranormal aspects of New England. Why is it that if you if you hunt down creatures and how come you're hanging out with a werewolf and a witch? Hey, you know, I mean, what better way to you know what better way to be uh, to where? Uh, actually, you know, what can I say? I mean. I'm just uh, I'm just an ordinary guy, you know. I need to come over and have company every now and again and uh, watch a little TV with some friends, you know. And it doesn't hurt that they also have a close communion with the dark forces. Uh, that It helps me out a little bit, you know. No, I, I pick up tips and stuff. He's just using you. That's what he's doing. Pretty much, yeah. You know. Oh, we'll, we'll see who's using who in the end, my dear doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, right. Are you coming over later for Golden Girls? Yeah, of course. How am I going to miss that? Oh, good. Yeah, you know, I gotta catch my daily dose of Blanche, you know. <laughs> Hi, that's I go. How you doing there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Well, you know, hey, what can you do? It's, it's that old Dracula stuff. It's old news. It's all done now. Don't worry about it. Let's get over that. All right. They seem to have that Chewbacca Han Solo type of relationship going, where can, they can understand each other. It's, very it's well. interesting. They they usually they're usually at each other's throats about uh, every so often. They they seem to they seem to get well, along, much I, to my chagrin. I thought just going after each other's throats was just part of the party with you guys. Well, you know, we yeah. we like that sort of thing. Yes. So, uh, for those who are watching uh, uh, television right now, what what uh, movie would they be seeing on uh, Chilling Shockers? I, I believe tonight uh, we're presenting uh, the terrifying film of horror known as The Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman, starring Paul Nashie, an actor who played a werewolf more times than all the classic horror actors put together. Really? Absolutely. And uh, this episode features a guru with a, a little bladder problem that he had. I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but uh, we had to employ uh, the gypsy Madame Madru to to solve his uh, his his problem, she's uh, she's actually here right now just to tell you her secret recipe for for making werewolves not ruin other people's gardens. Darling Penny, dreadful! I would never uh, tell anyone my recipes. Why else could I get my income? How are you doing, Garou? <coughs> yes, are you st still reading the stock market section? <coughs> yes, it's very sad. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's 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 she doesn't want to reveal her secrets. Anyways. Well, that's that's quite understandable. I mean, you know, with the with the gypsy market the way it is today, if you start giving away too much stuff, you know, the next thing you know, they're selling it on the internet. And it's true. Yeah, it's on evil bay. The highways. It's very hard to move along my caravan. It's it's just it's so inconvenient these yes. days. Well, anyway, so basically, that's that's the movie we're showing tonight on on television. We're on uh, several uh, channels out there showing showing movies of terror to to tantalize you wouldn't terrify you. Well, why don't you run down some of the channels that uh, the show can be seen on? Certainly, of course I will. We're on uh, we're on channel uh, 95 in New Bedford. And uh, I apologize, New Deadford, I believe uh, we call it in my neck of the woods. And then uh, we're, we'll soon be on in Scarehaven and Cushingnet. And uh, we're also on out in uh, uh, Freetown. We're on Freetown, Middleborough, Lakeville. We've got to hit the, the Bridgewater Triangle area. Of course, we have to be out out there. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, of course, we're on out in Boston. Uh, we're on in Providence, HP Lovecraft's uh, little area up there, and we're on up in uh, where Warren, Swansea. Uh, we're on in uh, Fall River. For don't don't make crossy fingers at me, you know I don't like that. Burns my eyes. And uh, yes, yeah, so we're on in several several channels, over a dozen channels. We're on uh, through the Horror Host Underground Network. They're putting us on in Arkansas, Los Angeles, and uh, of course we're on in Ohio. We're on uh, all over the place. We're many, many, many networks. Connecticut. We're Connecticut. We're spreading, spreading the dark word of uh, Penny Dreadful and Company. So you're reaching into every corner where there might still be a little bit of Puritanism remaining. Of course. Uh, I mean, that's what we have to do. We have to do that sort of thing. We've, we've brought up to Salem recently. We did an on-location sort of episode. And it wasn't exactly how I remembered it back from uh, in the 1600s. I mean, I just remember it being, you know, lots of uh, shops that sold uh, hemlock and uh, black lamb feet. And now it's all patchouli oil, fairy pendants. It's just not like how it used to be. Well, it's very know, different. A lot changes in four centuries, too, so... Well, you know, you've got, you've got, you've got, you've got to accept that, I suppose. I, I'm, a, I'm a traditionalist in that sense, uh, I guess. Yeah, you know, back then you couldn't get a good latte. <laughs> that, that is true. It's a good point, Von Bulo. And not to mention, they did have a little bit of nastiness there uh, in the time sense, too. There's, there's been some... Some nastiness in Salem but for for witches. It's true. Actually, I was put on trial when I was there recently. Uh, it was very upsetting. Uh, the witches of Salem put me on trial. They said I was misrepresenting them. Uh, I had no idea what they were talking about. So I mean, I, I just had to pull out, make with the voodoo dolls there, and we that took care of that. Von Bulow t- also was involved in that trial. He was trying to, to take care, to finish me off at last. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Yes. What can you do? And we'll see in the end who loses. Don't yeah, yeah, blame on, blame on. Okay, if you have any questions for Penny Dreadful and her gang of ghouls, you can call us at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 for Wareham and the Cape. And, of course, you want to uh, run a website uh, for your show as well. Yes, absolutely. You can uh, check us out on the World Wide Web at uh, com. That's S-H-I-L-L-I-N-G, shockers.com. And you can also contact us via uh, Seance or Ouija board. That usually tends to work. You know, just go the direct route. Yes, or say my name in the mirror three times backwards. That oh, works that, too. That sometimes. works too? Yes. Yeah, don't you have to do a little spin with that? Yes, you do. Uh, and throw uh, some glitter up in there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's that just that was just a rip torn. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait a minute. It's not I. Rip Taylor. 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 Rip Ta
Well, uh, like I said, uh, they they have their own website, and you can also get to their website through our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. We have pictures up of the gang and, and a link to their site so you can find out more information about them. Now, you were talking about this horror host underground. How did you become part of that group? I mean, did they seek you out? Was it one of those, you know, telepathic things? Or? Uh, well, we were... Well, excuse me, Guru. Guru, we dug them up. Is what Guru was trying to say here. Uh, we we dug them up by uh, we were uh, searching through a Scary Monsters magazine and I saw some references there through a, through a, for the horror host underground and for television. AM fourteen twenty WBSM. The spin stops here. You're smart enough to make up your own mind. There we are. Sometimes with the paranormal show, there's some <laughs> strange happenings here. Yeah, I noticed that you must have a ghost in the studio or something. Maybe oh, like a banshee. There's definitely Ooh. something in here. He's going to come down and take care of that, right? Oh, yeah, no problem. We take yeah. care of that. I get right in yes. there, you know. You know and only for a modest fee, too, you know. That ghost, oh, right. that ghost might be a friend of ours, you know. Yo, really? Yeah, you know, it's, it's very possible. Is there somebody that you should have brought in that you failed to, to bring in? You know, feels a little bit left out, maybe? Uh, perhaps. It, it was definitely patio tour. Patio Toodle the Banshee, right? It was a good friend of mine. He exercised her. Oh, I mean, what a jerk. Yeah, well, right. you know, hey. You know, anyway. So uh, we were looking at the Scary Monsters magazine, and I saw that horror host underground list there, and there were some cool TV shows, a lot of horror hosts around the country presenting films of terror, uh, such as Gula Gogo. That's a different type of show where they have a wonderful dance party with, with children and, and 60s uh, music on the garage rock. And uh, we were checking that out on our, on our terrifying television, and we thought that was really, really a neat show. And we found some of the other horror hosts out there, like Ghastly Ghoul, and the Bone Jangler doing their shows. And uh, so we, we decided, you know, this is something that we needed to do besides the, that infernal bargain that I made back in, uh, in the 1300s wherein I had to host a show and return for my mystical and magical powers. Um, but yeah, exactly, what price fame, you know? But at least it's better to, to host a show like yours. What's instead of really stuff going on around town? We don't know. Words. That was my Evan. bad. Sorry about that. That's it. <laughs> So we're going to need you to cast a spell during our first commercial break and and, and uh, exercise our computer here. I'll see what I can do. Now, uh, as I was saying, the at least you got to host a, a, a horror show showing some classic films instead of being stuck with like a game show or something like that. Uh, that's true, although Von Bulow was pushing for a game show. Yeah, because, you know, after all, what kind of torment is hosting a horror host show for a bitch? Really, if we were going to really get into the deep darkness of the bargain, it should have been a game show. Kind of like Match Game, I think. And yeah, that that would have worked. You know, maybe J.P. Summers could have been on there. It would have been really good. But what can you do? Now you're scaring me. Maybe, maybe you got. Maybe you could do like a, a, you know, like a dead version of Hollywood Squares. You could scare up Paul Lind. Oh. <laughs> there we go. That, that would be wonderful. That's, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I thought you. I thought you knew his ghost. Oh, we're, we're, we're good friends. We go. We go for drinks once in a while. And maybe you could scare up uh, the ghost of Tom Bergeron's career as well. Oh. Now, uh, talking about the, the movies that you show uh, on on your show, uh, these are a lot of films, that, you know, that people might not be familiar with because a lot of this classic horror has fallen by the wayside with with television the way it is today. Yes, so it's very sad. We're we're trying to keep that tradition going and showing all the the old uh, films of terror. We're we're big uh, fangs of uh, of the old horror films of uh, Bela Lugosi and Vincent Price and uh, television shows like Dark Shadows and uh, and that sort of thing. And we're the classics, you know, and uh, it's sort of disappearing in favor of a more uh, more visceral uh, horror, which which certainly has its place. But it's uh, we're we're trying to keep the classics going, so so the kiddies nowadays can can see where the the movies that they see now where the roots lie so to speak 
Yeah, that also is the whole host tradition too, which you know has kind of been wiped out with all of the all the, the uh, major network stations. You know, nobody nobody has time for like you know the smaller horror host uh, show, uh, anything like that. So yeah, you know. Certainly, we grew up with uh, with Commander USA and that that sort of uh, character. Well, I, I mean, I was already hundreds of years old, but uh, uh, mentally, I was probably yeah. Years. Mentally, you were probably somewhere around like I don't know. Oh, silence! I don't need to hear that from you. Anyway, so uh, so that's 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 the deal there. Uh, we'll just keep that tradition alive. Of course, the the classic uh, from when I was young, the Creature Double Feature on Channel Fifty Six. Ah, yes, yes, wonderful, wonderful program. Lots of cool Godzilla movies, and I remember that Solar Eyes sort of opening sequence with uh, Emerson, Lake, yeah. and Palmer. Yes, yes, oh, very oh, well. absolutely. And and uh, and also, you know, every once in a while, you got a special treat maybe on a Saturday night. They'd show a three D movie and you'd have to go down to the local convenience store and pick up your glasses that's and right the original you know for those who have never experienced it back in the 50s they brought 3d out as like a new medium for horror and it really didn't work out i mean do you guys have any plans on maybe showing a 3d movie i know it's it's in it's in the works down the line we we hope to to uh, institute that uh, technology it's a uh, it's far ahead for us, but we, we hope to get to that point at some some at some stage. Or again, you can just cast a spell and make the movie come alive in people's houses. That might scare them a little too much, though. Well, uh, I I could do that. I I, I did once. It was it was a big problem. It was some uh, lawsuits involved. I don't want to go into that. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about some uh, some of the new trends in horror as well as some of the classic films a bit later on in the show. And of course, we want to hear from you, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. You can tell us about your favorite horror movies. You know, Tell us what it is that you remember growing up, what scared you, uh, what kind of films you think uh, you'd like to see them return to. Uh, and we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast on WBSM. Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. There's a touch of madness around here. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, cool down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Uh, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500 from Wareham in the Cape. Tim Weisberg here, Matt Costa is along, and we are talking to the gang from Penny Dreadful's Shilling Shockers, and uh, Matt, actually, if you don't mind hitting that button right there for the caller, because I cut off Dr. Von Bulow, pressing the, the buttons myself. That's a good thing. Now, wait a minute here. Isn't that fair? I have things to say, important things about the horrible creatures out there. Your audience needs to know. Well, tell us. They must be destroyed. If you find evil beings in your vicinity... Cast them aside in the name of all that is holy and good. Well, okay, maybe not so much. But. Well, that's not really fair because my partner here on Spooky South Coast is kind of an evil being, so... That's, it's, it's, evil is a relative thing, you know? Oh, well, I think uh, I, I think he's pretty evil to all his relatives. Hey, anyway. 1420. <laughs> uh, the computer. Sorry about that. That, that was class. That, that is our, that was class. That that is our possessed computer. I was trying to cut you off there. I, I kind of had a feeling, feeling, yeah. Okay, now let's... Uh, if you're looking for the ideal job... <laughs> you like that, don't you? Uh, you just keep at it, don't you? Yes, it's a delightful. It's don't worry about it, Richie. You'll get yours. Uh-huh. It, it floats like a duck? Well... Oh, I don't know what you hear about that. And uh, l- let's talk a little bit more about uh, about the program and how it's it's spreading around to different cable systems. Like a virus. Like a plague. 
like a plague. Yeah, it's like a plague of evil. But a plague would, impro- uh, would imply that somebody's looking for a cure, and I don't think anybody wants to cure this. This is good old-fashioned fun. Hmm. Perhaps, perhaps you can use your rhetoric to outsmart me, but you know... <laughs> well, you are a doctor, so you're, you'll probably win that battle. Oh, yes. Mickey Mouse College. <laughs> I have you know that my license, my licensure is, is complete and, and accurate. Uh, and and uh, dare anybody to prove it otherwise. All right, whatever. And uh, what what are some of the uh, other movies that you have coming up that you're going to be showing as part of the show? Uh, I'll let our producer uh, Danielle feel that one. She she knows more about uh, more about that type of thing. Okay. Oh hi. Uh, yeah, we're going to be showing. Uh, hi, hi, uh, Tim and Matt. We're How you doing? We're pretty good. We're going. Where'd to you come from, by the way? We're hiding be- hiding behind the uh, equipment I, over there. Uh, a Penny had me in her hat. Oh yeah, that, she, that's she pulled, that. just pulled me out. Uh, she does that sometimes. It's, it's sort of bothersome. Do you ever find yourself feeling constrained by something like that? Uh, yeah, Doctor Von Bulow, sometimes. And and you know, I'm going to try to get you the the things you want on the set uh, between takes that you always ask for every time and get really upset when they're not there. I'm going to try my best. Yeah, but you got to do a little bit better about that. Uh, I'll try. Sorry about that. Um, and uh, anyway. Uh, the movies we're showing this season uh, include M, starring Peter Lorre. Uh, we have um, uh, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Uh, we have um, uh, The Ape Man, starring Bella Lugosi. <laughs> uh, Guru is a big fan of that, <laughs> that film. And uh, we're also going to be showing the film uh, Count Dracula and His Vampire Bride, starring Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing together. Yes, absolutely. That's uh, it's that's exactly what it's going to be. You bet your sweet baby, Doctor Von Bülow. Yeah, that's what you dragged out of the closet. Now, and all these all these films uh, that you show are available because they are public domain uh, public domain films. Is that correct? Yes, they're all uh, in the public domain, royalty free films that have either uh, elapsed into the public domain because the creators didn't uh, renew their copyrights, or they never initiated a copyright accidentally for for whatever reason. So there are lots of films, not only horror films, tons of movies in the public domain, television shows, uh, radio shows. Uh, you'd be amazed by some of the classics like M with. P- Peter Laurie, that's a, a classic f- uh, film, German film, mm-hmm. uh, wonderfully shot by Fritz Lang, and uh, Peter Laurie got his start in that film, became very famous. I uh, played a murderer, child murderer in the film, re- very atmospheric, and that's a public domain movie. Uh, the early silent films, Nosferatu, uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera, those are, are public domain films. And uh, Rebecca, who does our editing, she just joined us here in the station. She can Hi, tell how you doing tonight, Rebecca? Good, about. how are you? And uh, now, how exactly do you acquire these films? I mean, do you have to purchase your own copies? Is there a way you can get them through some network? Or We've actually uh, found a number of places online. There's uh, archive.org that has uh, a lot of mo- um, royalty-free movies available for download. And you can also buy enormous DVD packs of royalty-free movies. They sell them really cheaply because they don't have to pay any copyright exactly. to get their hands on them to begin with. I mean, for those uh, for those out there, you know, when you're at the local department store and you're checking out, they have that rack of dollar DVDs next to the register. And, uh, and those are all public domain royalty-free videos i mean i built up a collection an insane collection of uh cartoons 
so. over the, just a, over the last year or so, and and there's some of the cartoons that you know they they couldn't air again if they wanted to because they've been banned. Yes. For some of the stuff that's <laughs> that's in them. Yeah, we, yes. we had a problem with one of those. Actually. Yes, um, in our episode six this season one, I actually uh, put in a Bugs Bunny cartoon that uh, is in the public domain, probably because Warner Brothers doesn't want to hang on to that image. Mm-hmm. It, it originally ended with all of the characters donning blackface and singing Camptown Races, so we, to, we yeah. sort of edited out that part because we, <laughs> we didn't find it appropriate. We, we didn't feel it was uh, appropriate to air at that uh, in its entirety. Uh, yeah, it's but hey, listen. we got to use a, a Bugs Bunny yeah, cartoon. Sure, well, but a lot of these horror films that you do show, some of them might be edited for television if they were still aired because, you know, for whatever reasons, time constraints or, you know, questionable content. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if there's a, like a movie like White Zombie with uh, Bela Lugosi, that probably wouldn't play in too many networks anymore because a lot of the, the voodoo stuff is considered a stereotype. Mm-hmm. But with your show, you can air them unedited and in their original form. Absolutely. And, I mean, I'm a big fan of the, the zombie in its original form as sort of a, a shambling, undead creature that's controlled by a voodoo priestess or a witch. And uh, George Romero sort of came up with a flesh-eating zombie Zombie, which certainly has its place, mm-hmm. uh, but the old-fashioned zombie movie—you never see that now because the the f- flesh-eating zombies have sort of taken over. And I, I kind of <laughs> I'm going. Uh, what? What's so funny about that? It's true. It was the image of flesh-eating zombies taking over. I that think. is their goal. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and and when you uh, so you said so you download some of these movies and you can also purchase them, uh, but do you find that? You know, is the, is the internet made them more readily available, or do you think it's increased, you know, awareness of these films? And now some of these companies might try to go back and and find a way to copyright them again. Well, if something falls into the public domain, it's in the public domain. There's no going back into privately yeah, held. No, nobody can nobody can purchase. No, because now. in the meantime, others will have used it, and I mean, there would be the legalities of it. Are, like it's everybody would have tricky. an equal claim. Um, I, I think that if George Romero, for instance, could. I believe he did try. Night of the Living yeah. Dead actually fell into the public domain, and I think that George would love to get that copyright back if he could. I think he attempted to do it and then didn't, wasn't successful in doing that. It's, there, there are all kinds of weird legalities that are attached to it, and I'm not a lawyer. I have no idea how it, how it works. But well, That's something I was wondering is if there's a lot of these movies, like in, in the 50s, horror movies were just mass-produced as, as well as they did, and, and as, as quality as they were, they were mass-produced at such a rate to get them out into the Saturday afternoon theaters that a lot of these films they probably just didn't take the time to copyright them because they were shipping them out so fast but every once in a while do you have something that falls through the cracks that's almost like a a bigger name film like A Night of the Living Dead uh, well, that's one of the bigger ones that, yeah, I, that I know of that's, that's in the public domain. Um, some of the 70s, some movies that were made in the 70s that were the in Mexican horror films and whatnot are in public domain. Um, some of the, uh, which is King Kong versus Godzilla, which was a creature double feature staple. Mm-hmm. They used to show that one's public domain. There, uh, there are lots of them. There are lists online of, uh, of these movies, but occasionally one of those will fall through the cracks, and uh, I can't name some specific ones, but if you look online, you can find yeah, I mean, I know in other genres there have been, you know, major, major movies. A lot of old television shows, too, like sure. Beverly Hillbillies, Andy Griffith, those have all fallen into public domain over the years. Mm-hmm. And and so that gives people a license to air them, but it also gives them a chance to bring it back and to keep it fresh in people's minds, where, you know, whereas cable, 
they pay so much rights for movies, Turner Classic Movies, all these networks. They pay so much for the rights for certain films. They just show those same films over and over again to get their money's the worth. That's and the problem. And public domain films get buried. Right. And uh, that, that, that's the problem. And it's also, um, and on a related note, a lot of these big corporations have bought out the local television affiliates like WB uh, Channel 56 used mm-hmm. to be uh, like the Boston Channel and when these companies buy these local channels all the local programming is basically eliminated in favor of syndicated programming because it's cheaper to show reruns of Friends for example than to have a, you know a kids show host or a horror host or, or exactly. some, some type of local show which gives the, each channel its own kind of local flavor and that's Disappearing and that sort of everything, all that stuff is sort of now going to cable access uh, to some on some level. I mean, there was a time when when every channel would have their own Bozo the Clown yeah. or mm-hmm. their own version of Elvira or yeah. Vampire, whoever they used, and mm-hmm. and you always had like Uncle Nutsy or whoever, some yeah. crazy kid show host, and and it just eliminates a lot of the creativity from from these channels. I mean, how many networks do you really want to see when I'm turning on the same reruns of King of Queens and Everybody Loves Raymond every night? You know, it would be nice to see something original and different. Right, and uh, that's part of what we're trying to do is keep that alive, that tradition alive. Spe- and the kids' show host, was, who was the local one, Dr. Von Bulow, that, that you enjoyed a great Oh, you mean Willie Whistle? Willie Whistle, right. And there was the other one, Sal- Captain Salty, oh, Captain no, Bob. No, you're thinking of Captain Bob that did the draw. Yeah, yes. drawing yeah. with Captain Bob. Drawing Bob. with yeah. Captain Bob and the WCVB in the morning. He, the he time had that, that great the theme song. That, 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 yeah, 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 yeah the always, pipe there. Always stick in my head forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yes, yes, like a like a like a torment. <laughs> <laughs> and people fondly remember these, you know, these personalities and these shows that that it's just they're getting sort of wiped off the mm-hmm. the, the map. But uh, across the country, different horror hosts and uh, kids show hosts and whatnot are, are sort of trying to keep that tradition going. Exactly, it's really surprising how many there are out there. Yeah, if you go to horrorhosts.com, that's that's the uh, horror host underground, and you can see all the different horror hosts out there and uh, what they're doing. And I assume that there must be, I mean, I know this is probably not your area, but as people in the performing arts, there must be other similar uh, trends developing for other programming as well. Maybe some kids shows, maybe some of those uh, crazy old science shows, Mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, I forget the gentleman that... uh, There was Mr. Wizard and... and Bill Nye. Bill Bill Nye. Even those those more recent ones, I mean, uh, Nickelodeon brought back Mr. Wizard in the 80s. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was very localized for a lot of kids in the younger days, but it just seems like there's that aspect of television that can be a little bit more personal than just a sitcom rehash. So uh, we want to hear from you, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 for Wear Him in the Cape. Let's talk some horror movies. What do you remember from when you were a kid? Maybe there's a, a local TV show that you remember that they don't air anymore, something uh, that we're, we're not talking about here that you'd like to remember. Give us a call, and also uh, just check us out on the web, SpookySouthCoast.com. You can call in uh, with the numbers on the website as well. You can also download the show all week long. Uh, and we're now also available on iTunes. We're going to take a quick one-minute break right now, and we'll be right back on the other side here on Spooky South Coast. Oh! Who said I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. You sure are looking good. You're everything a big bad wolf could want. Listen to me, little 
Here back on Spooky South Coast, we have an actual werewolf in the studio. Guru is here with us. Oh. That's still the original there. Still nice the snarling darling. And uh, and I see the, the moon is going behind the clouds a little bit there, so maybe uh, maybe it's time for Guru to transform back. But meanwhile, uh, we well, we had a call, but uh, that fell off too. Is that another strange paranormal happening? No, I think he just liked the song and was going to go download it. Okay, so uh, we're talking with now uh, Danielle... Uh, I want to say it right. Gallerter? Danielle Galerter. Galerter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a good Romanian name. <laughs> yes. And her husband, Magoo. And, of course, Rebecca Paiva, who is behind the scenes uh, producing Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers, which you can be watching right now on Channel 95, uh, provided you have the radio up and the TV down. <laughs> Absolutely. It's both multitasking. It's good. And, and why don't we talk a little bit about your performing background, uh, how you got into the performing arts, and how you developed the idea for the show. Um, I well, I I've done a lot of uh, a lot of theater and uh, done some film work and uh, I've always been into the sort of the comedy stuff too. Uh, we did me and uh, uh, Dr. Von Bulow's uh, the manager. Uh, hello, are you still there, Doctor? Oh uh, yeah. Do you want me to go see if he's? I think he's laying on the couch somewhere. Maybe yeah, I can go, go on. get him. Yeah. Yeah, go get him. Uh, we used to, we. Uh, yeah. Hello. Hi. Oh, hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Why don't you doing introduce right. yourself to everybody? Hi, uh, my name's Ivan, uh, and I'm uh, just a sort of a, a second hand on, uh, on the Penny Dreadful's Shilling Shockers. Yes. He's the second hand that ticks off a lot. <laughs> <laughs> waka waka! <laughs> we like to call him Ivan Aranax. <laughs> so he, uh, so we, we did, we've done, we knew each other back in high school. We did, yeah. were involved in a lot of, we loved all the classic comedies and the, the old cartoons and the Marx Brothers right, stuff. Right. And we sort of, I don't know, we did some sketch comedy stuff. We did a, a, years ago, we did a cable access show called Isn't This Ridiculous, which Rebecca was also involved in. And, uh, we did lots of, lots of fun sort of stuff. And, uh, that was our first sort of involvement with cable access. And then, um, that sort of, died out after a while and uh, started getting involved with the theater and doing a lot of theater and whatnot. And uh, I guess, I mean, I've always had an interest in horror films, classic horror films myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and the horror hosts, I mean, we grew up with those characters on television. Um, So... I, it was sort of a natural progression. We we started to we found out a, we we had talked to Jesus about ten years ago about doing a horror host show. We were kind of just joking around about it. I think yeah, yeah, yeah at the time and yeah we had an interest in doing it, but we just didn't really seriously consider doing it. But then when we found out about the horror host underground and that people were doing this and we could use these films, I didn't know we could use those films. Uh, it sort of came together, and I think the thing that gave us the push was when uh, I saw that show uh, Gula Gogo, where they were like it was a cable access show, but mm-hmm. it was really neat you know a lot of times cable access gets a bad rep because you most you see a lot of badly produced yeah a lot of it is poorly produced yeah but there's some good things on there and that sort of sort of inspired us to hey you know we can do something cool on cable cable access is a cool medium you can do great stuff on it and uh, and it's free it's very it's open you know it's you you're you know you're not necessarily limited by other concerns that you would have on on uh, you know pay media. Absolutely, yeah. and, and you retain a lot of creative control as well. Right. I would assume. Absolutely, yeah, creative control, and uh, the folks over at NBTV ninety five are great bunch of folks and they the you can take classes there for free absolutely free mm-hmm. where they teach you how to use the equipment yeah. let you use the yeah. equipment and yeah 
Tom Sexton runs the sh- runs the, the station, Great and guy, he's been yeah. a mentor to us, as well as people like the folks on Gulagogo and everyone in the Horhost Network yeah, has just sure. mentored us and you know Fat helped Gould, us survive. Mass, great. great people, and Rebecca has a lot of video editing experience from her uh, job at RISD. She she works with with a lot of uh, video uh, uh, editing. She uses Adobe Premiere to edit the show, so she does a really good job. It looks slick. Uh, yeah, I work in the film animation video department at Rhode Island School of Design, and actually, in an extremely unofficial way, RISD has been very supportive because my department has allowed me to use some equipment for shoots and all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, they probably didn't know, but now they do. If they're no, like- they know. <laughs> and and Ivan is being modest, and he has he has a background in film as well. He's a, a film student was a film student over at Boston University, and has a degree in filmmaking. And Magoo has done a lot of uh, technical stuff, roadie work, and and whatnot. So, uh, and some some theater involvement as well. So, we all have backgrounds in different aspects of the performing arts, uh, and we like to, you know, bring that all together to put the show together. And, and how hard was it to uh, convince? Uh, the local cable access people, the people in charge of these networks, to, to air your program. Uh, some, some have been. Uh, most of them have been very receptive mm-hmm. uh, to the idea. Some of them have uh, been a little reluctant with regards to the uh, public domain uh, nature of the film. Nobody's ever approached them. A lot of these stations saying, "Hey, we want to show movies," and a lot of people are nervous about that. So we sort of have to prove to them that they're in public domain by sending them links for each film uh, that Rebecca put together a list of every film we've used that's mm-hmm. in the public domain to show them that. And once they see that, they sort of breathe a sigh of relief and uh, everything works out really well. And after that, it's all good. The, the time slot thing has been an issue a couple of times because most pu- pu- um, cable access shows are half an hour. And, and uh, we are a an hour and a half to two hour time slot and a couple of stations have been oh well let me see where we can fit you in then right but a midnight slot is great for a show like this because traditionally you know that's that's the way it is so there's no problem for us with that (laughs) that's why we're all sitting here right now at uh 10 minutes of 11 here on a saturday night yep (laughs) not all of us want to go out on a saturday night either so you know it seems traditionally i'm a big time channel surfer i can never settle on anything but especially on a saturday night there's nothing on they expect you're out and you know when you've been around a couple hundred years, sometimes you don't want to go out every Saturday night. It gets a little old, does it? Yes. It gets it, a little old. I mean, for me, growing up, Saturday night was always the night everybody climbed up on the couch and you watched, you know, an old horror movie. Yeah, or exactly, right. midnight movie tradition. Yes, and right. Everything. Absolutely, Zachary and Vampira. I mean, they were the yeah. classic horror hosts. They were on at night. The kids used to sneak downstairs when their parents were asleep to go watch monster movies in the middle of the night. You know, that's great, and we want to bring that back. Uh, hopefully. We'll get some some kids watching the show. That's what we're hoping for. And but have you encountered? Uh, we joked around before about the the Puritanism of New England, but it is an area that is, you know, rich in in that type of tradition. But also, it's very rich in the the paranormal and the horror tradition as well. I mean, uh, do you, have you encountered any kind of um, you know protest from the old church ladies that uh, don't like what you're doing? Or we li- we like to call New England the Transylvania of the United States. It's it's the perfect place to do it to do a show like this and there are all kinds of creepy places to, to shoot we, we do location shoots every every season in weird places but we haven't had any any opposition as of yet luckily because I mean I think we do it in the spirit of fun oh absolutely although the fact that I play a witch a couple of the stations mentioned that there might be uh, might be some issues I don't well it's not that I play the witch I, I 
play for her. I perform for Penny Dreadful when she mm-hmm. uses her spells on me and makes me fetch like her. A puppet. The channel I know, it's awful. Is, I'm going to quit the show. I, I can't, I can't deal with her. I was just she's, say. Just, she's too much to deal with. Anyway. Channel 95 has a good deal of religious programming on, and um, many of their shows are adding little bumpers for our show. So really? I think, you yeah. know, it's a one big happy family at Channel sure. 95. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, if you had a show where you had a witch as the main character, you would have to deal with the... You know, the religious uh, zealots that would call in and complain and say, you have a witch on television. But now you have a different, as, as Wicca has become more prevalent in this area and in the society, you know, some people might say, hey, you guys are playing the old stereotype here, and that's not what we're all about. Right, we, that, that might come up, and that was actually the premise of one of the episodes, was that the Wiccans took issue with Penny. But where Penny Dreadful is a monster movie witch. She's, <laughs> she's a witch from a monster movie, you know? It's just, oh, see, there we go. It's, it's all good. It's I all also good. Think- we're not trying to malign anyone. We're just we're having fun playing monsters on uh, doing the monster thing on TV. That's all. I think that the show is really kid friendly too. It's not like um, I mean we come on and we're spooky and you know we're showing horror movies, but there's nothing on the show that isn't okay for kids to watch. And we you know we really want to have a kid fan base because as kids we all watch this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a, the show is also pretty goofy at times and. It's. Uh, I think well, everyone can take the the witch part with a grain yeah, of salt sure. and laugh along true. with the joke. It's you know? true what you say, though. There was uh, in the '60s when I had mentioned earlier, Dark Shadows. They had a sequence there where there was a, a, a warlock who was performing a black mass, and Boston took the show off the air completely. There was uh, for yeah. a while. I mean, there was a big protest over the whole thing, but it. Things have changed over the years, and I think people realize maybe that. I'm not completely. I'm sure there are some people that might not be in, into the idea, but I think for the most part, it's. But they're so old, they don't know how to work the telephone or the internet yeah, to complain, so exactly. you don't have anything to worry it's about. It's just fun monster movies. It's not like we're not trying to. We're not spreading any kind of message or anything other than, hey, these movies are fun, and horror hosting is fun, and. You know, we loved that stuff growing up, so we want to bring it back. Yeah, and, and paying homage to all the people that that you know we respect as filmmakers and artists and other kinds of creative crafts people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and we were talking about children, uh, you know, making the show friendly for children. I think children do need to experience programs like this because it's not just about the horror aspect. I mean, there's some campiness to it. There's a lot of, you know, classic comedy elements. I mean, I, I read in one of the news stories, uh, you know, Standard Times, cheap plug for my other job. I read in... <laughs> Well done. Well done. Thank you. I, I it was read in Thursday's the, issue, wasn't it? Yes, Thursday's coasting, which you can often read my restaurant reviews in once a month. Anyway, getting back on topic, the uh, talking about uh, Guru's performance, and you know they refer to him as the the Harpo Marks of of horror comedy, and you know it takes a very gifted actor and comedian to be able to pull something off without being able to vocalize. Yes, and without having to memorize any lines. Either. Well, that's, that's <laughs> the, added benefit. the fortunate byproduct. <laughs> but you, you develop a lot of these skills uh, doing a show like this that are, you know, fall by the wayside in exactly. today's performing society. Yeah. Uh, Guru and uh, Dr. Von Bulow have a sort of Chico Harpo uh, element going oh, absolutely. on with those two. Yeah. Uh, more like Harpo Groucho, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know how it's, it's the way it's playing out. 
I think it's definitely Chico Harpo. Yeah, I think yeah. so okay. too. Yeah. Well, well, but, well, yeah, we'll see. When the musical it's just your eyebrows comes, you know, make me think of Groucho. Well, you know, that's so flattering. I, I really, sh- I, I'm starting to blush. Uh, speaking of musical episodes, I th- Rebecca is working on a, on a Shilling Shockers album uh, where we have uh, character themes for all the th- characters, plus our great theme song by Gein of Gein and the Grey Robbers, a fabulous really horror, great band, yeah. horror surf band out of the uh, Acton, Mass area. But uh, she's she's put yeah. together some stuff. So far, we've got the Penny Dreadful theme. There's Garu and Von Bulow. Oh, oh. Those 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 numbers were really really spectacular. Why? I thank say. you. You're very well. We're all we're all, yes. we're all patting each other on the back. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just a love in. But but so. surf music again. That's another you know another art form that's kind of you know haunting and beautiful and had been falling by the wayside until recently. Great rock and, roll. Yep. and, and roll. You know you'll hear it now as like background music for something and, and people just don't understand. I mean everything's so overproduced these days that it's a nice pure sound. Yeah, good and it melodies. Goes with, you know the pure you know drama comedy elements of what it is that you're doing. Sure, absolutely. And, and and there's a lot of other bands too. I notice on your website that are into this, you know, this genre of music as well. What are, what are some of those other bands? Oh, uh, well, I mean, there's there uh, just all kinds of bands. The Ghastly Ones are great. There's the the, the Moon Rays. The Moon Rays. Yeah. They do. They use like theremin in their music, and it's sort of a surfy spy sound to their stuff. The Von Gools. They're a, a horror garage band, and they play like sort of '60s, dirty sounding garage rock, but with a monster twist to to the whole thing. Uh, the Headless Hearsemen. They're another 60s style garage that's band. a great that's, name yeah. there yeah. used to be the Surf Zombies oh, as well yeah, yeah. A, a recent local band that met its demise had a song called Surf Zombie yeah. an homage to well, we can't say their name like on the that. air because there's a naughty word in the name <laughs> yes. Draco and the Malfoys Ray! there we go Draco and the Malfoys there's a oh, they played recently <laughs> uh, but this the Headless Hearsemen they're, they're, they have this real oh. neat thing where they dress in these white tuxedos and white top hats and they put a black light on so they look like they're glowing and then oh, they wow. wear these black masks so it looks like they don't have any heads in this lighting and then they sing 60s spooky uh, spooky songs but with a 60s like Farfisa organ and the whole garage rock sound I mean there are some some fun bands like that out there and, definitely and having that element helps what it is that you're doing because there's a lot of cross promotion I would assume between your shows and their shows sure yeah uh, so Gein and the Grave Robbers is you know they're they're Mentioned for a couple of times on the on the, I can't mention the internet site that everyone's uh, can I mention that or I won't, I shouldn't probably it's like uh, the uh. space that's mine there. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't yeah, see an issue. I won't say that. anyway yeah so anyway that's yeah we, they're on there and spread the word about the different stuff and of course we can always put links up on our site SpookySouthCoast.com that one we can talk about we don't talk ah. we, we don't talk about nearly enough I only mentioned it about three or four hundred times a show Spooky, <laughs> Spooky South a great website I enjoyed it very much thank you we have a, a wonderful web designer who uh, donates all of his time uh, putting that together for us and uh, hopefully over the course of the next couple of months we'll be putting up links to everybody's sites and, and having a page where you know everybody can always reference what it is that you do and, and other guests do even though uh, you might not be on the air that week so we, uh, we are coming up on a news break uh, Matt, what do we got, about a minute here? About a minute and a half. All right. I just wanted to touch on one thing that Matt and I did last night. Uh, we attended the Capers lecture. We talked about it last week on Shadow People. And uh, Deb uh, Ahern from Capers put together this wonderful PowerPoint presentation talking about Shadow People, which, of course, are those mysterious beings that you see out of the corner of your eye. Not quite ghosts, not quite aliens. Who knows what they are? Uh, so, Matt, what would you think of that presentation last night? That was pretty informative. Uh, when we left, actually... Uh, was looking over my shoulder the whole night. 
Well, that's because that's about shadow people. Well, that's because I was following you though. But that's that's a different story. The man in the hat was an interesting story they told, uh, where where a woman woke up and saw this man standing in her son's room with a, a big hat on, and there were some other stories of just these shadow people that have been seen. Uh, not a lot of local aspects. Maybe uh, people out there might want to call in in the second hour with their own stories, but and you know just all the different theories about them. So coming up here, we'll probably do a show on shadow people. Right now, we're going to take a news break. Uh, we're going to go to the CBS News. We'll be back on the other side with more spooky. South Coast. We're going to talk about horror movies, horror movie curses, and of course, The Week in Weird. So stay tuned here on WBSM. Welcome back to our number two of Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. Tim Weisberg, Matt Koss is here as well, and we are with the gang from Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers. We'll get back to the subject of horror movies in a moment. We're going to talk about some of the recent horror movies that have come out uh, over the years and how they pale in comparison with some of the classics. Also, we'll talk about some of the curses surrounding a lot of these horror movies, such as Poltergeist, uh, The Omen, The Exorcist, and even some movies that aren't of the horror genre that still might surprise you. But right now, it's time for a little segment we like to call The Week in Weird, where we uh, put together some of the news stories that you might not have heard over the course of the week, stuff that you were unaware of that fell under the radar. We're here to report it to you. For example, uh, those who listen to the radio program Coast to Coast with George Norrie, who uh, I'm assuming we have a similar audience, so a lot of them might have heard already, but this week, uh, actually last night, he played a uh, statement from Dmitry Kozkov, who is a channeler for the devil. They'd been teasing for weeks the possibility of interviewing this devil channeler and, and getting him on the air and interviewing him about you know Satan's plans for Earth and, and what he's trying to pull off here. Well, I guess the whole situation was that uh, Mr. Koskoff refused to allow a member of the clergy to be present, so uh, Mr. Nori decided to cancel the interview and instead allow him to make a statement. And uh, you can de- if you go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, we have links to all these stories that we're talking about tonight in the Week and, uh, week and Weird. And on the uh, video message, he talked about how uh, Satan said, We are winning. Look around you. Wars, crime, evil, famine. Are these signs of good? No. We are winning. And he also promised to demonstrate his strength of an event before or on Good Friday. And he said that you will bow down to me for mercy. Now, Matt, we caught a, a few moments of this video before we came in. It seemed a little bit uh, overproduced here, didn't it? Yeah, it definitely did. Um, I'm not sure if I believe it. Honestly. Yeah, I got the same feeling because they said that when Mr. Koskov was talking, when he was channeling the devil, his voice kind of went down very low and, and into a mumble that was inaudible. So they ran his voice through all these processors so they could understand what he's saying. It sounded more like, uh, I don't know if you remember the old DJ Jazzy Jeff from the Fresh Prince song there when they had the Freddy Krueger at the end of it. It, it just sounded like that, you know, 
type of growl and it had the cheesy laughs. And I've always held fast to the notion that if uh, Satan never did talk to a human being, he wouldn't have that cheesy, you know, horror movie laugh. Which of course is great for what you guys do, but I, for some reason I think it'd be a little campy for the devil. I wonder if we could get him on the show. Uh, we were going to try. I mean, if if George Norrie wasn't going to interview him, we were more than happy to invite him on. But he he's kind of a scary looking dude. They have a photo of him as well. All right, Matt, you have uh, another story for us. All right, this is uh, the Lake Champlain monster. Residents of Nash- of uh, Lake Champlain, New York, have talked about their own version of the Loch Ness monster for years. They've even dubbed him Champ, and he's the mascot for a local minor league baseball team. The frenzy began in the 1880s when P.T. Barnum offered $50,000 for Champ, dead or alive. ABC News recently obtained exclusive video of Champ swimming under the surface next to a fishing boat piloted by... Uh, I'm not sure if I can say his name. <laughs> well, it is a little Dick bit... Offler? Dick Offler? Dick Offler. If, if you look at it quickly, it sounds like it's inappropriate for radio. Oh. <laughs> and Peter Bonet. While this footage proves inconclusive... It keeps the spirit of Champ alive and is igniting a whole new search for America's answer to Nessie. And, of course, we have a link to that ABC News story on SpookySouthCoast.com. And we also have a link to a photo of Santos, who uh, Matt will tell us about right now. Santos is a virtual human that is helping corporations save big bucks normally, that is normally associated with producing prototypes, as well as helping the military save the lives of soldiers. These CAD programming, through CAD programming, Santos can interact with virtual prototypes of anything from Caterpillar tractors to Army equipment, eliminating the need to spend money on ineffective prototypes or to subject humans to dangerous conditions. Similar programming is also being used to produce virtual cadavers for medical training and digital crash test dummies for automobile testing. As long as they don't uh, replace the band crash test dummies, I think that'll be all right. You're a big fan of theirs, aren't you, Matt? No? Of course I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and here's your chance. Uh, if you've always wanted to own your own restaurant, you know, there's plenty for sale, but how about your own restaurant with a ghost? John Barber is selling the Moss Beach, California Distillery, a speakeasy turned restaurant south of San Francisco. He's retiring, and he says he hopes that the new owners will continue to promote the legend of the Blue Lady. Supposedly, according to the legend, some 72 years ago, a beautiful young woman met by chance a handsome, dangerous man and fell in love with him. The sophisticated ladies' man was, say some, a piano player in the bar. Others say he was just a philanderer who hung around to pick up unsuspecting women. This naive young woman, always dressed in blue, was already married to another man, but her unsuspecting husband and young son never knew of her illicit affair. She made many trips to the restaurant to be with her lover, and uh, when she supposedly died in a car crash, uh, she decided to go back to the uh, to this Moss Beach distillery and wait for her lover. Uh, and now while she's there, she's said to snatch earrings and cause checkbooks to levitate, which, you know, I'm sure the owners don't mind as long as they levitate toward the front desk. And uh, just in case customers don't see the lady on their own, the place has a trick mirror in the ladies' room that reveals a blue face and a recorded giggle. Uh, those of you who are fans of the show Unsolved Mysteries might have seen this case profiled there, and it was investigated by Lloyd Auerbach, who is uh, a parapsychologist who we will be having on the show in the future. And uh, we'll talk to him about this restaurant. But if you want to own it yourself, you can buy it. And if you do, it comes with the blue lady. And that's it for the Week in Weird. Uh, we're going to go back to our discussion on horror movies and curses in horror movies. 
508 You can call us up. You can talk to us about horror movies, what you liked growing up, uh, what kind of movies you'd like to see them bring back. We can talk about some of the movies that you see on the Penny Dreadful Show. And also, uh, if you just want to call up and talk about anything to do with the paranormal, we are here, we are willing to listen. Now, uh, you guys show a lot of the classic movies, but some of these more recent movies, uh, I, I gave everybody a list, and it's just it's astounding when you look at it, just some of the movies that they've remade over the last two or three years alone. I mean, right now we have out in the theaters uh, just released The Hills Have Eyes, which isn't really that old of a film to have remade. We have When a Stranger Calls, another remake out there. They've already done a new Amityville Horror, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, House of Wax, Dawn of the Dead, The Fog... Why is it that they seem to go back to a lot of these old movies, go back to that well? Because they're bankrupt of ideas of their own. <laughs> you think so? Good answer. <laughs> and so what they do is they just co-op these movies. I mean, there's really not even a lot of, like the Amityville Horror, the remake had a little bit of originality to it. But a lot of these films, uh, I mean, from what I saw of that Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, it's almost a frame-by-frame redo. And they, they like to call them, oh, I'm not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, but they like to call it, you know, an homage, but it's really just a rip-off. Well, they remade Psycho, Psycho. a few yeah, that was years the one that back, I was, yeah. and right. my God, sacrilege, what my, ever made them think that that would be a good idea? Right. I mean, the, in my opinion, there's no, uh, there really isn't a point to it. I can see if there is an existing piece of literature or a book and you uh, different filmmakers may have different interpretations of that work mm-hmm. but why we make an existing film in the same medium it's like okay let's take a, a book let's take dracula all right let's rewrite dracula why would you uh, why would you rewrite a, a book i mean there's no point so why remake a movie and, and it's the same thing in my opinion well i think a lot of it is like mm-hmm. with a, a character such as dracula you see a lot of books where it's the same character put in different situations. Mm-hmm. And with these horror movies, it's like there's always the beginning and the end. You know, there's a bad guy killer, and then he gets whacked at the end of the movie, and he's supposedly gone. Mm-hmm. Then they bring him back for a 7, 5, 25, yeah, 30 it's sequels. It's very formulaic. And, and it loses a lot of the creativity. Sure. Yeah. I personally don't have a problem when they want to remake a movie if they have something new and fresh to offer. But for instance, with that Psycho remake, uh, Gus Van Sant actually tried to do a shot for shot, every camera angle exactly the same, and then did something crazy by in the shower scene, which is probably the most immediately recognized things that have lasted from the movie, that even if people haven't seen the movie Psycho, they've seen the shower scene. And then he changed the shower scene, which kind of made me... Cry. <laughs> well, I mean, Gus Van Zandt's always—he's always been off on his own uh, plane of existence a little mm-hmm. bit here. But I mean, that's w- almost smacks to me of a vanity project. It's mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I want to do this because I think I can do it, right. and the studio says, "Well, you know, we'll give you a couple million dollars to get it done." And it's just you know, it promotes the lack of creativity because how many people went out and saw that movie? How good did mm-hmm. it do in DVD sales? Obviously, plenty enough for them to keep going back to this type of well. Right. And mm-hmm. it's it, it just seems pointless to me. Why remake House of Wax when you have the great uh, great original versions of that? But, I, I mean, I, I suppose the Vincent Price House of Wax, I guess, was a, was a remake of a previous uh, version of that, too. So I Right. Mean, it's, That's why I don't it, have a problem when they remake. If they have a new, fresh idea right, to right. bring mm-hmm. to the project. Sure. Uh, and Different twist on yeah, it or but, something, yeah. Or if you've got Vincent Price, it's definitely yeah, that's a word. Yeah, sure, that's what I was thinking. It. It's a lot of these remakes. You have some of these great 
actors of the genre, and when you try to remake them, you lose that element. Mm. I mean, a Vincent Price movie without Vincent Price isn't necessarily a, a creepy movie. Mm. Mm. And Vince Vaughn is a very poor replacement for Anthony Perkins. That's yeah, true. Sure. I mean, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's it's funny because someday there will be some network that shows like a Vince Vaughn double feature, and it'll be like no. Psycho no. and then Wedding Crashers. <laughs> you know? Bite your tongue. <laughs> It's, uh, now that's true horror. That yes. is true. Yeah. That's absolutely. I'll scream and hide my head under the cover. <laughs> and, and, and we'd like to hear what you think of these uh, recent horror remakes, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Is there a movie that you would never want to see them remake that they should just leave alone? Are there some that you think are begging for an updated version? I mean, we already have some more coming out uh, in a cute little promotional aspect on June 6th of 2006. That'd be 6606. They're going to release a new version of The Omen, dubbed The Omen 666. That's a real lack of creativity. There's also going to be a 3D version of Night of the Living Dead, uh, third installment of the Creepshow series, uh, remake of The Blob, The Changeling, The Entity, um, Friday the 13th, prequel or remake. They haven't quite decided what they're going to do. They just know they want to make another Friday the 13th movie. And they said, gee, we've already killed Jason, had Freddy kill Jason, we've shot Jason into space. What else can we Send do? Send him to hell. Yeah, I mean, what else can you do? Oh, Send him to the Madeira feast. Yes. <laughs> Oh, that, that, you know, that would be the last one for sure. Just get Jason, uh, get, him, get him drunk on some twelve-year-old Madeira wine. Shetty with mosses. <laughs> he wouldn't feel the urge to kill anymore. Yeah. He'd just want to hang out and, and eat. But I mean, th- there's really nothing else. It's, it's like you said, it's a formula. Yeah. You know, he shows up on the scene. He hacks up some. Ki- there's always the you know the the headstrong kid that thinks he can take him on. There's always the young ingenue girl that ends up surviving in the end. And the one who screams and falls down. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a great one. And, and there's always the couple having sex, yeah. and they get yeah. killed because there's a moral. That's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not really. right up until the killing part. I mean, I think even with Creepshow, it's there's there's a they're remaking the original Creepshow in addition to doing Creepshow three. From what really? I heard, oh. I heard that oh. somewhere that they're doing both of those things. I, d- I don't know if that's true or not. But. And I know from what I've seen that G- uh, George Romero was involved at least in the third Creepshow. Mm. So I mean, it, you, but you have two masters of horror that really. You know, headline that project, George Romero and Stephen King, yeah. and unless they're going to be involved in these future incantations, I mean, Stephen King made uh, a great made-for-television movie. Sometimes they come back. It was a really well done, you know, CBS TV Sunday night movie, and unfortunately. Uh, he must have signed the rights away to the original story to CBS because they made three or four other direct-to-video versions, Uh, you know, and and they didn't have that Stephen King touch. And, you know, Stephen King is one of those authors. He's such a great writer, and when you read the books, there's a richness to the characters where he'll bring... You'll meet this character and know all about him in a page, and then he'll kill him. And when the movies really do not bring his works justice, I really wish that somehow... They're, you know, when they take his works and adapt them for the screen, they could be better. The one, the the films, that, there have been a few good films of his, like Misery and some non horror. Yeah, some of the non horrors like the Shawshank Redemption, Stand by Me, Stand by Me, and Green Mile. The Shining was good. I mean, I know it's not exactly an adaptation, but I mean, it was great. And unfortunately, they made another one. Well, yeah, the the one that was truer to his book, I don't think, was as good as the 
Kubrick version. Well, the strange thing is, though, about the Stephen King films especially is, you know, the, for some reason they had Castle Rock Entertainment in the early 90s and they just optioned every book. And so you had, especially when Misery really hit it big with, with Oscar fans, they just optioned every Stephen King story and they killed a lot of the stories. They, you know, the dark half, all these movies that were oh, just that terrible. so terrible. Yeah. But Misery, I think, succeeded so well because it relied more on suspense. Exactly. And less on yes, the startling absolutely. Aspect. And they had a hell of a cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was really the cast that made them. And then what they ended up doing is ABC teamed up with Stephen King and now you have all these ABC made-for-TV miniseries based mm-hmm. on his books. And those were far superior than a lot of the cinematic films and that were coming Kingdom out. Hospital and Rose Red. Yeah, I mean, that's stuff that he's even been writing just for the screen has been better than some of these book adaptations over the years. We're hoping he'll sponsor Shilling Shockers up in Bangor, Maine. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Chime right in, of course. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you are. <laughs> how, how are you doing? We, we brought you back. Yeah, but I got resurrected. This is when, uh, Ivan, one of the producers of the show. Did you get in touch with uh, Stephen King yet about sponsoring? Oh, yeah, I totally him? called him up yesterday. Oh, but, you know, he's, he's just, uh, he's just you know, swamped. Just gotta, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really hard to get him on the phone. And Rice, and Rice. Rice is on tap. And, yeah. and Rice is, yeah, well, you know, they're, they're, they're in a band together. They kind of tour around. Oh, that's cool. The, uh, they're, are they all in the rock bottom remainders together? Yeah, no, well, I, I thought, you I know, know Anne Rice is in that. Yeah, I know. So. I know. I know. Uh, Dave Barry was retiring from it, so I thought maybe he brought her into her place. Oh. <laughs> that'd be pretty. That'd actually be pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. We've been trying to get him. I mean, I've been contacting uh, Penguin Press trying to get him for this show, but uh, I think we're a little bit off his radar. He's like, uh, I don't. I need to do mainstream press. But come on, paranormal talk. What would I have to do with paranormal talk? Maybe he's scared. But uh, <laughs> speaking of remakes, uh, not just Stephen King remakes. There's a lot of remakes that have been coming out over the last couple of years of Japanese horror films. Mm-hmm. I mean, those who are really into cinema and really into the horror genre have seen, you know, if I pronounce them correctly, like Ringu, the original yeah. Ring, the Japanese version. But Americans seem to have some problem with subtitles. They don't want to read when they go to the movies, and so That's they have to. So do scary. <laughs> <laughs> God, you know, God, I have to bring my glasses to the theater. Oh, no, no, never mind. Forget it. <laughs> And so a lot of these movies are being remade, and unfortunately, they're trying to get the hot young cast. I mean, mm. The Grudge. I, I can't get. Over, I hold The Grudge because they cast Sarah Michelle Gellar in that movie. Right. Just not a big fan of hers, and it mm. seemed like it could have been a good movie, you know, had I seen the original. But yeah, I heard they stuck a feeding tube down her throat before putting her in the film. <laughs> uh, the turned sideways. You can't see her. Well, these that might have been better. These Japanese horror movies that are coming out are um, the the originals. I mean, uh, I think that they're a step in the right direction because the the they're very atmospheric, real creepy stuff. Um, I know we've watched Audition recently. That was uh, a audition. messed up movie. I know Ivan's not a big fan God. of that. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm not a fan of it, but. It's it's only a matter of time before they do the American uh, remake of that. I think that the movie is so disturbing that some people don't care for it because it makes them feel so uneasy. But the, just what you were saying about the atmosphere, the uh, audition, I think, succeeds because it's all weird camera angles, and yeah. they shoot the actress from far away, and just the way it's being shot right. makes you feel weird and, and uncomfortable. Yeah, and there are a lot of ghost-type movies that, yeah. uh, I mean, it's a step in the right direction. They're really stylish, atmospheric. There's a lot mm-hmm. more, uh, there's l- less of the visceral horror and more of the atmospheric terror that, that 
you know, that's sort of disappeared in a, a, a lot of horror movies. You don't see that so much. Well, I think, uh, and I'm going to be talking in huge, broad generalities, and, and being more students of film than I am, feel free to correct me here, but, you know, there was a big cult following in the late 70s and the early 80s with movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. and it kind of led to the, you know, and even some of the, the crappier ones like Prom Night and all these other movies, mm-hmm. it really led to a push toward these gory slasher flicks and it took away a lot of the psychological aspect of horror until I mean if you want to look at it and I may be giving him too much credit but M. Night Shyamalan he was the one that really brought back that you know the twist ending the spooky feel and to to rely on stuff under the surface instead of in your face kind of horror with Mm -hmm. the sixth sense and then later signs and the Village, which is probably the worst of his movies. Mm-hmm. I, I I I would agree with that. He's done. Uh, I I I like The Sixth Sense. I thought that was that was a good movie. And uh, some of the other movies uh, that have come out uh, uh, recently have been good, like that. Um, I uh, thought The Others was good. Uh, Sleepy Hollow. Um, a lot of more of the same type of thing. Too. Sure. And uh, the Blair Witch Project. That was really clever. I, that was really. Uh, and you don't see the gore in that, and it's mm-hmm. not in your face, visceral sort of making you nauseous sort of stuff and i mean that stuff does have its place it's a gore is i i think a direct descendant of the grand guignol theater in france where they they had these visceral horrors that happened on stage and but i think that that terror the stuff that sticks with you the thing that that's hiding in the shadows that you just catch a glimpse of and just stays with you for you know you you can't get it out of your mind that sort of thing has disappeared that sort of stylized atmospheric horror where something's hiding in the in the fog and uh whereas that's disappeared in favor of these visceral horrors that just uh, they sort of just there's no there's no hope it shatters your 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 um I don't know. There's it no imagination the suspense, to it. And, oh, yeah. and it's more for, I think, uh, adrenaline junkies who want to be startled every few seconds to stay involved because all our attention spans have been shortened. That you know, you have audience today that wouldn't be able to sit through like a Hitchcockian type of Ex- yeah, suspense exactly. building gradually, right. and you know, the psychological aspect makes you actually think and, and yes, empathize sure. and feel. What's Stimulates going to happen. your imagination absolutely. And, and nothing can scare you as much right. as what you imagine in your own mind. You know. Whereas I think I think it renders you senseless when you see. I think Anne, Anne Radcliffe, the the gothic horror writer, she's she's it, it renders you senseless with the with the visceral stuff. Whereas the terror, uh, the stuff that's uh, that's in the shadows. It stimulates your imagination. What could that be? What is that? And it and it frightens you. It creates a real sense of dread and fear. That that's. It's just I don't know. Or maybe we're old fogies saying this, but I, I really I really honestly believe that there is a certain atmosphere that's some filmmakers have been able to capture. I think I'm not. Night Shyamalan has done. The Sixth Sense, that was good, and some of these other movies have been able to capture some of that. I mean, even a guy like Wes Craven, who made, you know, built houses on the Scream franchise and the Nightmare on Elm Street series, he's gone to suspenseful movies with a movie like Red Eye. Mm -hmm. He's really made a push toward more Hitchcockian Mm -hmm. filmmaking. Even the first, the first Nightmare on Elm Street was very, mm-hmm. was very, was good. That was scary. Mm-hmm. I do want to. I agree with everything that my cohorts have just stated, but I do want to give a shout out to the early '70s Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because I think wh- while I am much more into the atmosphere and less into it's a the good gore, movie. It's a well-made I think movie. that that scary. film is a low-budget masterpiece. In the even though it is. Uh, you know, gory. It's also at the same time beautifully shot, and it was 
and it's not I don't think that one can be compared with a lot of gratuitous gore movies that come out today right. the way that was shot was shot so gritty mm-hmm. and uh, really low budget that it actually you could believe that some guy just had a camcorder right. filming what was actually happening but, I mean, and that had its own because of mm-hmm. the grittiness that gave it its own atmosphere right. that is lacking in a really slick mm-hmm. studio produced gore fest right but it at the same time, that sense of the sublime is gone. There, I mean, I think it's a great movie. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a fantastic, well-made film. Mm-hmm. But that sense of the sublime is gone. And there's, the well, yeah, yeah, it was low budge, and yeah, it was shot in under twenty-four hours. But and speaking of low budgets, uh, I do love some gore films. Uh, you look at the old Herschel Gordon Lewis. And you know, trauma. They're still doing it. Low budget, jelly under latex masks. <laughs> well, it's yeah, I, I find it's that, whole, a whole yeah, other category. Yeah, but itself. I find that much more exciting to watch than than what do they call CGI, it? CGI yeah. and, and really CGI fake kills stuff. It. I'd rather see it done the good old fashioned way with yeah. a jelly donut under. <laughs> yeah, you know? totally, when, definitely. When, when I say there with that. Lewis, anyway. Yeah. When I use the Amity, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a point of reference, I mean, that was kind of what kicked it off because a lot of these movies that came on afterwards were just yeah. pale rip-offs and, you know, taking it to the extreme oh, sure. and, and killing it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's yeah. become very gratuitous, but I think that for that movie it wasn't so much gratuitous as no. setting up its own atmosphere, which was then unfortunately copied and hacked to death. That's a, cla- <laughs> uh, that's a classic. I mean, it's... it's uh, and. There's some good stuff out there, but it's not as much as we'd like to see. Nay. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. And uh, on the other side, we're going to talk about some horror movie curses and uh, some of these mysterious goings-on surrounding a lot of these classic horror films. And, of course, we'd like to hear from you, hear about your favorite horror movies, what you like and don't like in the genre. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, right here on Spooky South Coast on WBSM. Dreaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. Welcome back. We're talking about horror movies with Penny Dreadful, the werewolf Magoo, and, uh, well, the werewolf Guru. But he's transformed with the moon behind the clouds. Uh, with just snow coming down, and hopefully it looks like it's out a little bit. Magoof works as his groomer, and uh, we have Rebecca Piva as well, who is. Well, what 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 would your actual title be? Uh, um, that's complicated. It seems <laughs> she does everything. I, I, I go do to girl, everything. Video editing. Mistress. I yes, I do the website. I do the video and sound editing. I compose music and other. Oh, I shoot the show. I don't know. I I'm I'm the gopher. Yes. <laughs> hey, whatever works, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Ivan, you're still with us as well, right? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. And uh, you know, I gotta I gotta compliment you coming back from commercial to Rockwell. Uh, you know, he rocks that well. Used to be my he, favorite song. He really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's it's our own little private joke here with uh, Matt Ross. I'm on radio, but somebody's watching me. Uh, who is it? The IRS? Actually, <laughs> probably these days. You never know. Uh, 
Well, speaking of somebody watching, uh, we're going to talk about some of these horror movies and the situations surrounding them. Very strange cases indeed. A lot of this stuff might be urban legend that's been kicking around for a long time, but I tried to put together some research and see how true a lot of it is. And of course, of all these movies uh, that we're going to talk about, the one that seems to have the most uh, strange occurrences surrounding it is Poltergeist. They have what they call the Poltergeist Curse. Now, the original movie came out in 1982, and uh, shortly after the film's release, Dominique Dunn, who played the older sister Dana Freeling, you might remember she was on screen for about three minutes screaming a lot, she was murdered by her boyfriend shortly after the film was released at the age of 22. And that was just the first of uh, many strange deaths surrounding the film franchise. Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, came out in 1986, but... Prior to its release, uh, while they were in the post-production phase, the actor Julian Beck, who played the Reverend Kane in that movie, died of stomach cancer. Uh, he had been diagnosed in 1984 before accepting the role, so it wasn't an, uh, an unexpected demise, uh, but he was only age 60. And then also from that movie, Will Sampson, who played the Indian shaman Taylor, he died from post-operative kidney failure and pre-operative mal- malnutrition, which when you think about it, you know, that's the kind of... Uh, ailments that you think, uh, you know, an actor, a successful actor, somebody who'd just been in a big movie. Yeah, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, I mean, he was a, a well-known, I mean, he was the Native American actor that everybody turned to. It's a little bit strange that uh, these type of situations would happen. And, of course, the, the, the biggest story surrounding it is in 1988, Heather O'Rourke, the 12-year-old girl who played young Carol Ann Freeling, died of a septic infection due to a bowel blockage caused, that caused bacterial toxins to enter her system. It was originally thought to be something as simple as the flu, because all the early symptoms were the same, but by the time they got her into the hospital, uh, the uh, situation progressed so badly that she actually ended up passing away on the operating table where they were trying to remove the blockage. And she had also been diagnosed with Crohn's disease prior to filming Part 3 as well. And like I said, she was just the age of 12. So a lot of mysterious deaths surrounding that film. I mean, later on there were producers and directors who passed away as well under... You know, strange circumstances, but not really so closely associated with the film. I mean, uh, this is something that's been kicking around for a long time, something that as horror fans you must have heard about in the past. Oh, definitely. Uh, Poltergeist was was one of those movies that you just always hear these strange things that are associated with it. And that's only one of uh, several films where there have been... uh, The Omen was another one where the... uh, designer for the effect, the special effects John Richardson, he was in Holland back in 1976 with his uh, assistant Lismore and uh, they were in a head-on collision the date of the collision happened to be the 13th of, on Friday the 13th wow. uh, they got into an accident the girl was uh, actually killed horribly, the front wheel of the car went right through the chassis of the car and cut her in half uh, John Richardson was came up with all the weird Capitation and all that stuff in the omen, you know, all these bad things. He came to in the car. He saw her beside him. She was dead, and he looked ahead of him and saw a sign for the next little Dutch town that they were about to enter, and it was omen O M M E N six six point six kilometers, and it was just really like what a weird uh, occurrence. You know, interestingly, I don't. I would think that this was before that death, but in the Omen 4, there's actually a character who dies in a car crash, and a pane of glass comes through the front of the car Mm -hmm. and cuts the character in half, and it's really strange Mm -hmm. that he should be in a car where his passenger dies in almost Mm -hmm. the same way. I mean, a lot of this stuff... um 
You know, there's a lot of uh, stories that circulate as well. I mean, The Omen is one that they say, you know, there was like a presence surrounding the filming where just strange little disturbances would happen. Uh, like getting back to Poltergeist for a moment, uh, Jo Beth Williams, who played the mother, oh, suggested right. that uh, there was a lot of this stuff going around. She would come home from filming and pictures would be askew. And she was the one that actually revealed on television that they used actual human skeletal remains as props in the pool scene at the end of the movie where it was supposed to be a bunch of fake skeletons. But No wonder they're cursed. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, no kidding. Where, I mean, you got to wonder how they came up with all those yeah. parts. I heard that Jo Beth didn't know when she was in the pool with them that they were real and that they told her after the scene was over, man, I would have been so pissed. I think the, uh, the, the way that I'd heard it described is they told her to get in the pool. I think it was Steven Spielberg told her to get into the pool and they would bring out the props, and they they added dump, they dumped them all in or whatever, and, and bring then bring out your dead. And, <laughs> and then while she was in there, they said, "Oh yeah, and by the way, they're real." And that's when she started screaming like that. So. Yeah, well, there was a realism to that scene, let me tell you. <laughs> and and just some, I believed she was terrified. Some other strange uh, occurrences surrounding this film uh, or the franchise of films. The home used in the original film was damaged in an earthquake in 1994. Now it's out in California, so that's not really that far-fetched, but when you start adding everything up. Uh, also, during the filming of Part 2, there was a lot of uh, accidents and interruptions that nearly brought production to a standstill. So Will Sampson, the gentleman who played Taylor, was actually a real-life shaman he performed an exorcism and uh, Craig T. Nelson actually told people in the press junket that you know had it not been for Will Sampson's presence you know who knows what might have happened there definitely was some ill will happening toward the toward the crew and the cast and also um Zelda Rubinstein, who played Tangina, the little clairvoyant there, mm-hmm. probably the most second famous character out of the films behind Carol Ann, she uh, had an occurrence during the filming of Part 3 where all of a sudden she felt in a weakened state, she collapsed, and I think she might have even you know, been sick, she might have vomited. And uh, when they played back the video and the photos, still photos that had been taken at the time, there was a bright light obstructing her face. Weird. And she found out that that was the exact moment that her mother had passed away. Oh, wow. So, and, and the producer of the film, you know, backed that up and said, you know, I, I think that's really what happened. And so, uh, I mean, you got to think, too, when you get involved in a lot of these productions, considering the subject matter that you're dealing with, I mean, you guys deal with it on a little bit of a different basis. You, you're <laughs> lucky to enough send to send us a message. I hope our, uh, the show isn't cursed. Yeah, well, you know, getting involved with this stuff, is that's bad news. Well, for really we did a, film know. up on Witch's Hill in Salem. There was oddities uh, with the microphone. That Aeolian Wind. Yeah, I think that yes, was called Wind. Yes. A magnificent <laughs> editor. Becca <laughs> Paiva was able to fix the sound yeah. quality, but it was pretty spooky. <laughs> but it, it is... like screaming in the background. It was pretty crazy. And then, of course, we had that strange demon in an SUV yes. rolling around on the Yeah, spinning donuts. Yeah, that would be called a chowder head. Yeah. <laughs> and another film, too, that has a lot of this stuff uh, surrounding it is the supposed exorcist curse, which you didn't really hear a lot about this. Uh, you might have heard about some of the strange circumstances surrounding the original film, but it wasn't a full-fledged Hollywood-rumored curse until the latest installment was released. I mean, back uh, in 1973 when the original came out, there was a mysterious fire that destroyed several props, supposedly from spontaneous combustion, which, uh, you know, only happens to Spinal Tap drummers. A lot of the time. <laughs> and uh, also Ellen Burstyn, who played Chris McNeil, suffered a spinal injury. And Linda Blair, of course, was the young Reagan McNeil, the girl who was possessed. She injured her back when a piece of the rigging that was used to shake her bed broke. 
And so this curse was concocted, and an actual exorcism took place on the set, which, of course, Warner Brothers was quick to release to the press, you know, fearing negative uh, reviews and, and negative crowd reaction when it first came out. So they can, you know, they put this story out there. So, I mean, how much of it is true? Also, Christian evangelist Billy Graham claimed an actual demon was living inside the celluloid reels of the original film. Good old Billy Graham. Yeah, you can always count on him to come up <laughs> with something that's a little clever. Crazy. It's funny that Oral Roberts didn't jump in there to back I think up. You, I, think, I think they all went uh, together. It was the two of them and Pat Robertson all went to see it together. and uh, They're the only people that the asked for their money back. And that's the Holy Trinity. Yeah. And also, when uh, Exorcist the Beginning came out, uh, that was uh, a couple of years ago, 2004. Uh, it, it was revealed to the public that the Exorcist curse was in place because original director John Frankenheimer, who had been making films for many years, uh, even as far back as uh, The Great Manchurian Candidate, uh, he backed out from the film in June 2002, three months into shooting, because he was in need of back surgery. And uh, right after he pulled out, he suffered a stroke and died only about a month after leaving. He was 72. And that caused original star Liam Neeson to quit because of the halt in production. So then they brought in Paul Schrader to make more of a psychologically scary film. They basically changed the premise of the film and they made it more of a, a cerebral scare, as we talked about before. He was fired because the studio felt it wasn't marketable. They See, that's when they were really doomed. Exactly. Hero Taxi Driver. Who fires Paul Schrader? Exactly. Eh. And, and so they felt that you know his movie wasn't what they were looking for, so uh, they fired him. And they eventually released his film as Dominion, a prequel to The Exorcist, which uh, came out last year. So finally they bring in actor-director Rennie Harlan, who in this neck of the woods is known most famously for being one of the many ex-husbands of Wareham native Gina Davis. So, I mean, you got the Gina Davis husband curse, too, to deal with. <laughs> they brought him in, and he completely rewrote the film, making it a, a special effects shocker. And uh, he was struck by a car in Rome, and his leg was pulverized. He spent the rest of the shoot in a cast on crutches with 14 pins in his leg. Oh. So maybe that's a sign that you shouldn't have messed with, uh, you know, perfection. Maybe you should have just left or the those Italian alone. drivers. That's yeah. Too, yeah. <laughs> Man, it's all these demon movies. Are yeah, I know. Rosemary's Baby is another one where they... Well, what, are, what are some of the stories surrounding that film? Um, well, uh, the, the thing with that one is, as you know, the premise of the film is that uh, the husband of this woman uh, promises uh, the unbo her unborn child to this uh, cult of Satanists, and... Uh, the filmmaker was Roman Polanski. We all know what happened to his wife at the time. Sharon Tate was murdered by the cult. Charles Manson the, gang. And she was pregnant with a, with a child at the time. And it was uh, chillingly one of the, the film reviewers for the, the movie before the murder happened actually likened the, the Satanists in, in the film to a far-out California religious sect. So wow. it's kind of kind of a strange connection there, and then there's the crow too, which also had a sort of a weird resonance to it. Um, the, the circumstances of Brandon Lee's death, uh, son of legendary kung fu star Bruce Lee. Uh, Bruce Lee, when he died, he was making a movie where he uh, his character was. Uh, shot by a gun that he thought was empty, and in the movie, Brandon Lee actually was killed by a uh, gun with blanks. And the character he was playing, Eric Draven, in the movie is was shot by a gun uh, right before his own uh, wedding. Uh, he was supposed to get married mm -hmm. right before 
you know, uh, he was killed right before he was supposed to get married, and Brandon Lee was supposed to get married right after the film finished shooting. There were these weird sort of, this weird sort of resonance be- with all with that film. In, in our research, we can take that a step weirder. Uh, Matt and I were looking up some Crow films yesterday, and we found out to, to further the curse of the Crow, they actually made a part four with Eddie Furlong in it. So oh. I mean, that alone is oh, it is, is cursed. Scary. It is cursed. <laughs> Pecker as the crow. Poor, poor hey, idiot. Pecker is a damn Oh, I love Pecker. I lo- I'm not dissing Pecker. Full of grace, full of grace. <laughs> but Magoo had an interesting take on the on the the, the crow curses and with regards to the, the film production. I don't know if you want to mention that or not. Yeah, well... Uh, <laughs> when I was 67 <laughs> years old, I Well, you're on the spot, you might as well tell it. Well, I just sort of wonder. I don't mean to be a nattering nabob of negativity, but I wonder, like, you know how many of these films are something tragic, like what happened to Brandon Lee happens, that they don't suddenly then say, well, it's not that the film was unsafe and that we didn't do everything in production we could to ensure that our star did not, you know, get damaged in the making of the film. So let's say, oh, it's so spooky, yes, this, that, and the other thing happened and try and create some sort of legend and well, mythology. Well, it's, it's a really easy way to cover up what goes on. Yeah. I think in the case of like a, a poltergeist or an omen, that's just some, some strange that's stuff weird. that happens. Yeah. But like in The Exorcist case, especially with the many directors, it, it just seems like a, it, it's yeah. a convenient With the excuse. crow, it just seems like a bit of negligence being covered up by, mm. you know, legends bringing up right. yeah. to, I mean, to cover the, the... What went wrong? People should know. I know this, and I'm not much of a gun handler, that blanks shoot out of a blank gun just like bullets do. Mm. They're just not as damaging, and you don't point it at people. That's just... I mean, and Stupid. you would think, too, uh, in this day and age, I mean, maybe not so much in what was in 1993 or four that The Crow came out. Uh, you know, in this day and age, you don't need to have a gun fire anymore because you can, you can do, do it all in Foley. Foley. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some other films, too, not in the horror genre that have had mm. eerie circumstances. One of, one of those films was Twilight Zone, the movie, which oh, we yeah. all think of Twilight Zone as, as being very eerie. But this uh, was actually just, a, like you said, negligence on the set. Where uh, actor Vic Morrow, who was a, a you know a pretty big acquisition yeah. for them for this movie at the time, because a lot of people in Hollywood weren't sure they wanted to see it made, and a lot of stars came forward and really pushed for it. But he was killed along with two juvenile Asian actors, uh, and the scene where working overtime at that. Yeah, exactly. And that scene where the helicopter, mm. uh, the was you know just that scene from the the gentleman who... Yeah, he went to Vietnam. It was a Vietnam scene that they were reading. But he, he had to live through, because he was a prejudiced man, he had to live through what it was like to deal with the mm. KKK and the Nazis. And, and Yeah, and the Americans in Vietnam. And so that helicopter malfunctioned, and he was killed uh, along with these two young actors who were actually working illegally. As you said, it was 2.30 in the morning, so director John Landis had you know, paid the parents in cash and said, you don't have to report this if you just let them stay and let me finish the scene. And so he actually had to go to court later on and defend himself yeah. in a case about a decade later. Yeah, that pretty much wiped out his career. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was found Up not to- guilty, but it was such a black mark yeah. on his career that... Yeah. You know, outside. After Animal House, he really fell quite a long way. It was Animal House, and he did Blues Brothers, too, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then, of course, another movie with some strange circumstances surrounding it is Rebel Without a Cause, yeah. because all three of its young stars uh, passed away at relatively young ages 
under very tragic circumstances. Of course, James Dean being the, the biggest star of that film died in a car crash in 1955. And uh, I remember, uh, before we went on the air, uh, Danielle, I heard you mention something about James Dean and, and that film. Yeah, he had been, uh, before before that happened, he had done a, a commercial uh, saying that... Uh, cautioning teens to drive safely because uh, the next life they save may be his. And ironically, he was... But, but it was his own fault uh, from, right. from what I understand. Yeah, he was... Dra- was he drag racing? No. Well, <laughs> I think he was just driving at very high speed uh, and like uh, a former Benway boxing champion Salvador Sanchez well, ran into oncoming Matt, Matt Moniz is here with us. He, he has uh, a, a different approach to the story, so we'll, we'll give him a chance to explain. Uh... James Dean was traveling in a uh, direction heading into the sun. He was uh, traveling at the posted speed limit. What happened was a car coming from the opposite direction crossed his lane of traffic. It was an elderly gentleman who had also apparently been drinking, as the officers had noted. He was hit head-on. The vehicle that impacted him was twice the weight, and it knocked the vehicle back. Wow. Yeah, he, was Over 200. he was driving a little Porsche. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, the Porsches back then were a combination between aluminum and steel. Oh. And when you're going against a 1955 Chevy Bel Air station wagon, sure. uh, traveling at twice your speed in a turn, you, you're going to lose. Mm. And unfortunately, he was not the only young actor that, that passed away that was in that film. Also, Natalie Wood uh, drowned in 1981. So, I mean, it was quite yeah. a few years afterwards. Off a boat. Yeah, she fell off yeah. a boat, and from what I understand, she could swim. Is that what I heard? Or I like she was supposedly a strong swimmer, and it was just strange that she would drown. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, Sal Minio, who was you know another young up and coming oh, actor behind great. James Dean, yeah. another he could have been another Peter Lorre. He had classic <laughs> movie star written all over yeah. him. And, and he uh, he died in 1976 when he was murdered. And it was a, that was a very strange case as well. There's a, with regards to James Dean's car, I read somewhere that the, somebody had purchased, I don't know if it was the engine from the car, and installed it in their car, and the first time they went to use the car, they were also killed in a car yeah, accident. I heard that too. Yeah. So maybe that curse Crazy. goes beyond just the stars yeah. of that movie. And I mean, it's, it's strange that this type of stuff happens. I mean, a lot of it could just be, you know, coincidence. A lot of it could just be bad luck, but when you start to have... You know, repeated circumstances surrounding these films, you start to wonder if maybe people are delving into something they shouldn't. Yeah, as you reap, so shall you sow. Exactly. I mean, a movie like uh, Rebel Without a Cause or, or Twi- even Twilight Zone, the movie, you know, Twilight Zone's as, as spooky and scary as they could be at some times. They always had a moral message behind them to make society better for it. But, uh, you know, movies like The Exorcist and, and Poltergeist, those are movies that kind of invite themselves into this. And it's a lot of the s- scares that you guys have on your show, you know, are beyond this type of realm. It's it's almost like, uh, I don't want to say done in, in jester, but it's almost, it's it's in regard, it's not this... There's a fondness, I think. Exactly. We, yeah. we do it with right. a very fond approach and love for the campiness. Yeah. We're just having fun. Our, the, car- the, the, the actual segments in between aren't so much uh, scary. They're, they're a little spooky, but they're more uh, comedic, and the, the movies themselves are, are scary movies. I mean, they're, the, a lot of them are like Horror Hotel with Christopher Lee. That's a, that's a, creepy, a creepy kind if, of a film. And if there was this 
overbearing evil presence that is out there. I mean, a movie like The Omen kind of flies in its face. Mm. You know, and it's, it's kind of like saying, right. you know, hey, you know, this is what we think of you. You're just a extra in a movie. Right, yeah, and then they get point. smacked down. <laughs> it's that's kind of oh, put me in your mess movie, with that you? sort of thing, I'll I suppose. I'll show you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well. Evil. We, no, although, you know, if it were in public domain, we, we might show it, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if it's, if you'd have to, I mean, well, sure, how, yeah, how could of course, you not? Of course, it's a classic. And of course, you can check out uh, their website, shillingshockers.com, for all the information about. Uh, and of course, why don't we just real quickly tell everybody how you came up with the name Penny Dreadful Shilling Shocker? Sure. Uh, well, Penny Dreadful, you know, she has her name, but uh, and uh, Shilling Shockers um, were these uh, pamphlets that were distributed during the Victorian era, and they were uh, short horror stories, and they would come out in installments, and so were Penny dreadfuls they were called either shelling shockers penny dreadfuls or bloods uh they'd be called and you know they're these short uh stories of terror often with a lurid sort of covers to them and, and whatnot so uh, that's where shilling shockers came from that just lends itself perfectly yeah sure so you can check out their website shillingshockers.com check them out every saturday night from 10 to midnight on new bedford channel 95 and various other channels in the listening area and, of course, you can check out our website all week long, SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can download the show, you can connect to iTunes and put it on a podcast, uh, find out who our next guest is going to be, and, of course, find out all the information about our past guests and their various pursuits. So uh, we got about three minutes before we head out here, so why don't we in- invite the characters all back in so they can all have their chance right, to say uh, goodbye. You come back in here, guys. <laughs> they were outside having a smoke, so. Oh, Hello. Oh, so it's great to be back here, Timothy and Matthew. Uh, yeah, it's a really incredible show, you know. I mean, I, I, it's it, it, it's something that uh, to reach out to all of your audience. Yes, right through the radio, we'll reach out to you. <laughs> Just don't harm the audience. We need them to come back. Oh, no, no, we wouldn't harm them. What we want them to do is harm the creatures. Oh, please. <laughs> there he goes again, spreading his message of destruction. Yeah, well, you know, it's not a message of destruction. Oh yes, cleansing. Of course, yes. We'll see. We'll see who will be cleansed. They like that word, cleansing. <laughs> was that Guru? <laughs> they came out Garou? of nowhere. Was that Guru? No, it was a disembodied voice. It was the voice that was doing all the weird stuff on the board. Uh, yeah. There's definitely some so, sort of presence surrounding this show. Yes, absolutely. So uh, we want to thank everybody for for joining us tonight. Uh, Matt, not much to say tonight. No, nope, uh, not much. Keep, <laughs> keeping a keeping a control on the computer over there. I got a babysit over uh, here. <laughs> I, you've done a commendable job, especially in the second hour with no strange misfires. And uh, next uh, week we're going to be back with. We're not sure who our guest is going to be yet. We uh, have some guests on tap for us. Uh, speaking of on tap, uh, we'll have some members of Taps coming on in the future to talk about the upcoming episode of Ghost Hunters. Also, we're going to have uh, Christopher Bolzano, who runs the Mass Paranormal Crossroads website. And uh, as I said earlier in the show, Lloyd Auerbach will be joining us, John Zaffis. We have plenty of shows, uh, plenty of interesting guests lined up for you in the future. So uh, for everybody here tonight, and for Matt, and for everybody listening at home, we want you to all stay spooktacular here on WBSM. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow.
supernaturalist.